Galatians in review. I was thinking I might start with just a little bit of a quiz. See what you guys already know. We'll try to make this fast. Uh, what is the book of Galatians about? What? Freedom. The book of Galatians is about freedom. If you had to pick that, that one verse that encapsulates the whole book, what would it be? Galatians 5.1. Wow, you guys have been paying attention. Um, we'll get to that in a little bit. Galatians. Actually, we see the subject matter. If you were looking for one word, right at the beginning, look at uh, verses 2 and 3. Paul, Paul starts his letter and he says, To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that was just part of his greeting, but that is one of the subjects, the big subjects of uh, the epistle to the Galatians, which is grace. Paul had come and he had delivered the gospel of grace to these Galatians. And he sends a letter, of course, to defend against the attacks of the Judaizers. These, these were the guys that came along afterwards and said, well, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but really you've got to do all these things if you really want to be saved. The issue, that's it. The issue was, how is a man or woman justified? How, how do we become saved? How do we become justified? Meaning, for us to be in existence, to live anywhere near a holy God, we must be somehow made just. How do you become justified? Through your own works or through the work of Jesus? This is, whole book is about legalism versus liberty. This book is about rules and, and rituals versus relationship. Paul had preached the gospel of grace and the Judaizers had come in with another so-called gospel. Look at verse 6 of chapter 1. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. He says, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. One of the first things we learned about this epistle to the Galatians is that the gospel is only good news. I think you'd agree. The gospel is only good news if it doesn't depend upon me. Right? If it depends upon me doing good, that ain't the gospel. That's not good news to me because I know me. Um, you guys remember how many parts the book of books of Galatians is divided into for an outline? Three parts. What's the first part? Chapters 1 and 2. It's actually divided fairly neatly into three uh, parts of two chapters each. Chapter 1 and 2, the, if you were to put a title over the whole thing, is this. Grace is personal. Grace is personal. Paul basically gives his story of grace in a... In chapter 1, it starts out with Paul trying to live by the law. He says, look, I tried this whole living by the law thing, trying to be good. And where did it lead me? Look at verse 13. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul says, look, I tried this thing called living by the law. And he says... It, I ended up actually persecuting the church of God, actually being an enemy of God. He says, but then I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And that begins Paul's story of grace. You want to see the end of Paul's story of grace? Look at chapter 2, verse 20. Chapter 2, verse 20, this guy who started out trying to please God by living the law, he says, and this encapsulates Paul's new view, 
Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a huge difference. Paul's first motivation was the law. But here he says, I finally got it. God loved me. He loved me so much that he gave his own son for me. And now my motivation is love. It's no longer rituals and relationship. No longer me trying to do stuff for God. No, now it's a relationship with a God who actually reached out to me. As opposed to me doing stuff for him. It's wow, he really did that for me. This whole transformation meant so much that in, in between you were like, what happened to the rest of chapter 2? Well, the rest of chapter 2 shows what a transformation it was for Paul because he stood up for this gospel of grace already in chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 10 and verses 11 through 14. Twice, Paul faced the big dogs. Remember that when we talked about Paul facing the big dogs? The first time was in the Jerusalem council. You could read about that if you wanted to, not tonight, but in Acts chapter 15, where they had this council basically deciding once and for all, hey, is circumcision required for salvation? And then verses 11 through through 14 of chapter 2, Paul stands up to Peter. And he says, Peter Peter walks in uh, to his church. And Peter was eating with the the Gentiles. But then the big dogs come down from Jerusalem. And Peter says, oh, I think I'll go over here and sit with the kosher guys. And Paul uh, steps up to him to his face and and says, look, you can't do this. You are creating a rift between uh, real believers, right? Gentiles and Jews. And he says, in In Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile. There's no man or woman. There's no free or slave. Jesus makes us all one in him. So, grace was personal to Paul. That's one of the big points. Chapters 1 and 2 is all about grace being personal. Matter of fact, we've talked about this when we went through Acts. Grace was so personal to Paul that he didn't even call himself by the same name anymore. He used to be Saul, right, which meant desired one. I keep the law, I keep the law so well that I'm desired. I'm, you know, very uh, much wanted speaker. I have a lot of things that that are on my plate. He went from that to changing his name to Paul, which is little, just a little guy. It's like when I see the love of God, I realize how little I am, but at the same time, how valuable. Chapters three and four, that's the second division. You remember what it is? Chapters one and two is God's grace is personal. Chapters 3 and 4 is grace is doctrinal. In other words, Paul uses chapters 3 and 4 to basically say, look, this whole gospel of grace is illogical. It makes sense. Theologically, it makes sense. And he gives reasons. He says, these are reasons that you should believe in the gospel of grace. See, the Judaizers, the whole reason for the letter was that they were coming in and attacking Paul's message. They were saying, well, yeah, Paul says this, but... Really, you know, Paul, Paul's motivation or whatever it is were, was suspect. These guys were, I, I, the way I put it was, they were like lobbing missiles into the Galatian camp. Basically saying, this whole gospel of grace is under attack. And so in chapters 3 and 4, Paul basically dissects all of those arguments. It's like these missiles come in and Paul shoots them down. And they're obliterated. Here's one of the first ones that these guys used for their argument was, Look, the promise is only to Abraham's son. 
They would quote scripture and say, look, it says right here that the promise is to Abraham's seed. It's only going to be to Abraham's family. So if you really want to be saved, you got to be a Jew first. So Paul's argument, the way he shoots that one down, is look at verse 6, chapter 3, verse 6. Paul says, well, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of the faith are sons of Abraham. Paul says, look, you can recognize a son or true son of Abraham by whether or not they do what Abraham did, which was believe God. Here's another missile they launched. They would say, look, the Bible says very clearly, cursed is everyone who doesn't continue in the law. So they're saying, look, you've got to follow the law because God said, I'm starting it now and you better continue in it. And Paul says in verses three, or chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, he's like, no, read that again, but read it this way. Cursed is everyone who doesn't continue in the law. Exactly. So don't get on that road. Remember, we talked about on that Sunday morning, Paul presented to them two roads. He said, look, there's the gospel of grace, the road of grace, where you start by being saved by the the finished work of Jesus and you continue that way. Or there's this other road that these guys are trying to get you to go down, which is you start by being saved, but then you have to work it yourself and you have to go down this road of works. And Paul said, don't get on that road because cursed is everyone who doesn't continue in the law. And if you remember, the law is impossible to continue in. James chapter 2 verse 10 reads this way, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Paul says, look, if you go down this road, if you decide, okay, I'm going to try to be good for God and I'm going to I'm going to make I'm going to knock on the door of heaven and say, look at what a great job I did. Paul says, You're never going to make it. You're going to be really discouraged. You're going to blow it because even one little thing that you mess up is going to blow the whole thing. Whoever shall shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one small point, he is guilty of all. But the other road, Paul says, look, Jesus walked the road for you. And it ends in blessing because Jesus became a curse for you. That's what chapter 3 says. Here's another argument. Judaizers would lob another one in that says this. Look, God never changes. God instituted the law. All right, Paul, are you saying that the gospel of grace nullifies the law of God? I mean, are you saying that God changes? That would be a huge no-no. Verse 15 through 18 of chapter 3, Paul answers that. Paul says, yeah, that's true. God never changes. (laughs) But Paul says, but by the way, it was grace that was first. It wasn't the law that was first and grace came and changed everything. God said, when did, or Paul said, when did God say to Abraham these promises? This was before the law had ever come. 430 years, at least 430 years before the law ever came into existence. So what was it about Abraham that was so attractive, that he did so wonderfully? Nothing. He just said, You want to have a relationship with me, God? Okay, you're on. And it says that the Bible says that they walked together. And you see that over and over in Galatians. The gospel of grace is about walking with God. Not doing all the rules and and listen, working real hard, but simply walking with God. So by the time we get to Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, you guys following me still? Yeah, I know we're moving quick. By the time you get to Galatians chapter 
uh, 3, verse 19, Paul, in my opinion, has so completely obliterated the arguments of the Judaizers that the question comes rising out of the smoke. <laughs> verse 19, what, what purpose then does the law serve? I mean, Paul, you've obliterated all these arguments. Why did God give the law in the first place? I mean, if the law can't save us, if, we, if the law doesn't help us to be good so that we get into heaven, what in the world was God thinking when he gave us a law? Chapter 3, verse 24. Here it is. And this is, this is one of these verses that you'll want to memorize, that you'll want to have down. And there's a lot of them now coming at the, the last few of, of Galatians chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6. For me, this helped me really figure out what Paul was getting at. Verse 24. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by what? Faith. Not justified by the law, but by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. You may remember the word tutor there is pedagogos. It means it's where we get the word teacher. It's a guardian. Among the Greeks and the Romans, a trustworthy slave who would was assigned to a little guy, maybe, what, five or six, eight or ten. He was assigned to the, the son of the master, and he would walk them to class. He'd make sure that they didn't get off the path. He would beat their knuckles if, they had, if he needed to. He would say, look, you're getting off the path. You're blowing it. You're, you're messing up. Until he could deliver him safely back to the master. Paul says that's what the law was like. The law isn't your friend. The law is like a, a harsh taskmaster. It, it ha does its job and it does it well, which is it drives you to Jesus. The law continually reminds us, oh, I blew it. I can't believe I blew it. What is wrong with me? I can't believe I blew it. That is the law saying, here's the line. You stepped over it. Here's the line. You stepped over it. And what it does, the law does its job very well, which is to drive us to Christ. And Paul says, once, once you've been driven to Christ, get your eyes off of the law. Get your eyes on Jesus, the Son of God. He's a much more, much more better. He's a much more worthy person to keep your eyes on to deliver you home. Paul says the law is good. It's godly. It's absolutely necessary. But the whole of, aim of the law is to get you to Jesus. And then at the end of chapter 3, in the beginning of chapter 4, we begin to see some amazing verbiage. Look at verse 26 of chapter 3. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And as you go into chapter 4, Paul says that because of Jesus, we are adopted into the family of God. Look at verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, we saw that's a word that you, you use to buy back a slave, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. That means Daddy. It's a very familiar word, uh, a very intimate word. Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Amazing. What's the, what's the book about? Freedom. Up until the time we get to chapter 4, 
It's mostly about slavery and about being beaten up by this harsh taskmaster. When you get to chapter 4, it starts to talk about being a son, being redeemed, bought, bought back at the slave market. Right? We were slaves to sin. And what was the currency? The currency was righteousness. Jesus lived a perfect life. He had enough currency to buy you back. And the Bible says that he laid it down for that purpose so that he could buy you back. He could redeem you. So the idea of a rescue, of redemption from slavery, the idea of freedom is beginning to germinate as we go to chapter 4, right? Verses 8 through 20. When we looked at that, the title of the message was Receiving Airline. Meaning, these guys were already heirs, Paul says. He says, but you guys are going back to the, the elementary things. You're going back to things that aren't good for you. And you think you're advancing. That's what legalism is, right? Legalism is saying... Well, I'm a really good Christian now because I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't do this. And that you think you're advancing, but in fact you're retreating because you're not depending upon Jesus anymore. Chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, you guys with me there? Galatians 4, 9. How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Talk about this. The, the law is weak and beggarly. The law has no power to make you righteous. And this is one of the, the, I can't think of the right word, the sneaky things about legalism. It will tell you that if you do these things, you'll be closer to God. You, you'll, you'll be righteous, right? You'll be cl closer to God. But in fact, the law has no power. We saw it several times in the book of Galatians. The law has no power to make you righteous. All the law can do is tell you how bad you are. He says the weak and beggarly things. Legalism reduces us, reduces you, to a spiritual pauper. Weak and beggarly. It's as if God miserly, that's the way legalism is, as if God miserly gives out little blessings here and there. Well, if you're a good boy, okay, so I'll bless you now. Right? And we've done, we've done that, right? I've done that where you, where you're like, but Lord, I was really good today, so I'm, I know you're going to bless me. Or, Lord, I really blew it today so that you couldn't possibly bless me. Looking at him like he's a, a, a man and you're, you're sitting there outside, you know, in front of the, the stoplight with a sign that says, we'll work for food. That's what legalism is as opposed to realizing that you are a son and a daughter of the holy God who has given up his most precious possession to bring you into his family. Legalism is weak and beggarly. It pretends to be powerful and rich, but it's weak and beggarly. Then Paul gives an example from the Galatians' own experience. Look at verse 13 of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says, You know that because of physical infirmity I preached the gospel to you at first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Paul here in chapter 4 is, is contrasting the, the power of love with the paucity, I think that's a word, the beggarly elements of legalism. Paul says, what happened to you guys? When I first came into Galatia, I had this weird uh, eye problem, oozing, we think, a nasty problem with his eyes. And he says, you guys 
treated me like, like it was your own family. It's like because I brought the gospel to you, you treated me tenderly. You, you didn't look at me and turn away in disgust. You had genuine, amazing love for me, Paul says. And then look at verse 16, chapter 4. Have I therefore now become your enemy because I tell you the truth? It's like back before you had the power of love, but now you have the paucity of legalism, the beggarliness. Now, now you, you're so poor in the things of the Spirit that now you're arguing with me when I tell you the truth. See, legalism reduced them to resenting Paul for even telling them the truth. So we got the power of grace, love, and forgiveness in verses 13 to 15. And the, the Galatians would remember that. Versus the weak and beggarly elements of legalism in verse 16. And then finally, Paul closed out the, the second section of doctrine with an allegory. You guys remember that? That was the one. It was a lot of hard work. But verses 21 through 31 of chapter 4, Paul gives an allegory about the law versus grace. Let's see if you guys remember the main characters. Hagar represents the law. Hagar, in chapter 4, represents the law. She was a picture of the law. Man hatching a plan and saying, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make God's promises come to pass through my own willpower, my own plans. Sarah's name means grace. Ishmael, in chapter 4, verse 21 through 31, he's a picture of the flesh. And remember, another word for him was wild man. This guy was a wild guy, and he was a product of the, this man's plan. And then Isaac was the fourth character to round out the, uh, the cast. Isaac's name means spirit or promise. Isaac was the miracle child. If you don't know what I'm talking about, sorry, we don't have time to go back. But it's, it's all in uh, the book of Genesis. The lesson was, in all of that, this allegory, was this. Paul's saying, if you try to be righteous by way of the law, Hagar, Paul says, I guarantee you, you're going to get nothing but Ishmael, which is the flesh, a wild man. See, most of Christianity has it all wrong. Most of us tend to, we say, I want to be good. So you go to the law and you set out your list and rules and regulations. You set out these things. You say, I'm going to do these. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do that. If I do that, okay, I won't do that. You, make, you, make your relation, you discard your relationship and you make a, a list. And he said, Paul says, whenever you do that, what's going to happen is you're going to find yourself fulfilling the flesh. Ishmael is going to be birthed out of Hagar. Okay? It was a, a wonderful allegory that I, I really helped me to understand things. So now we finally come to chapters 5 and 6, the third division. First division was grace is personal. Second division was grace is doctrinal, logical, reasonable. This last division, chapters 5 and 6, grace is practical. If you wanted to blow off the rest of Galatians, I wouldn't recommend it. But if you wanted to... Chapters 5 and 6 you would find are very practical. Paul says, look, this whole grace thing, this gospel of grace is really practical. You can actually live your life by this gospel of grace. Chapter 5, verse 1. Here it is, the memory verse. Chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Paul says, look, Jesus gave up everything to set you free. He says, don't discard that for this cheap 
weak, beggarly imitation called legalism. He came to set you free, and his intention is for you to stay free. And we saw as we went through chapters 5, particularly look at verse 1, and then look down at verse 13. We saw that the enemy, once the revolution has happened, if you're a Christian here, there was a revolution that happened, a rescue more like it, where Jesus came and he took you out from the power of the enemy, the tyrant. But once the revolution happened, then the enemy still is trying to get you, right? He's still trying to get you to do, to do what he wants you to do. We saw that he uses two generals. We, we kind of painted a picture for you, a word picture. It's like there are two generals that the enemy tries to use to bring you back into bondage. You guys remember the names of the two generals? Legalism and license. Paul says, look, you were created to be free, to stay in liberty. He says, but they're going to attack you. Verse 1 says they're going to attack you. They're going to try to bring you back into bondage by way of, verse 1, legalism. And also by way of, verse 13, license. And this is a trap, again, that Christians fall into. We, we run from the, the taskmaster legalism. And we say, I don't want to be under that yoke anymore. And what do we do? We run to license. As if, meaning, and if I, if I hadn't defined that for you yet, license is acting as though you have a license to sin. To say, okay, well, I'm saved by grace and so I can do whatever I want. Paul says, if you do that, you're going to find that license also has a yoke with your name on it. License also wants to bring you into bondage. And, and so often we do that. We say, okay, I'm over here in license and I, and I find myself enslaved, addicted, whatever it is. So what's, what's my plan of escape? I'll go over here to legalism and say, rescue me. Rescue me from license. Make, I'll make this list and, and then I'll be better. And then you find that you are now in slave, slavery, bondage. You have the yoke now of legalism. These two guys, legalism and license, they both want to bring you back into submission, back into bondage. But we saw the answer is that Jesus also has a yoke. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because it is easy, right? My burden is light. He says, I'm meek. I want to shoulder the burden with you. And if I didn't make this clear through the book of Galatians, I want to make it, make it clear now. I don't want to leave you with the impression that legalism and license and that liberty is in the middle, that it's a compromise between legalism and license. Not at all. Liberty is like on a different plane than these two things. Does that make sense? Because I think sometimes we can also be like, well, I don't want to be too legalistic and I don't want to be too, you know, too much toward license, so I'm going to kind of straddle the fence. No, this is like in a whole different world where you have liberty in Christ because you have a relationship with him and you focus on the relationship and not on these two other yahoos, the generals. Okay? All right. Chapter 5, verse 16. Now we get into this amazing practical stuff, ways that you can actually live this holy, abundant life. Look at verse 16. This might be... You know, we had you memorize chapter 5, verse 1. But if you want to live, memorize a really practical verse, this would probably be it. Chapter 5, verse 16, Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not 
fulfill the lust of the flesh. Meaning, you cannot. It says, look, if you'll just focus on walking in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, we, we do it backwards. We say, okay, I, I don't want to fulfill the lust of the flesh so that I'll be walking in the Spirit. No, no. He says, if you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Again, it's keeping your eyes upon Jesus. So often we keep our eyes on the sin. We say, oh, I don't want to do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. Don't think of a yellow elephant. No, keep your eyes upon Jesus, right? Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim, right? That's the idea that you walk in the spirit and you shall not, cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh. We talked about this, kind of wrapping it up, we're getting close. Remember two wars that we talked about consecutive Sundays? The first was the revolution. The second was the civil war. Christian, as you've been saved... You got the revolution taken care of. Jesus took care of that. But now you're left with the civil war, the war within. Because look at verse 17. He says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. He says, But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Your flesh and your spirit are mortal enemies. Your spirit and your flesh. Isaac and Ishmael. They're never going to get along. We, we see it right now in Palestine. Isaac is the son, the promised one of Abraham. Ishmael is the one who was born of the flesh. That is the Palestinians and the Israelis. Isaac and Ishmael are never going to get along, and they're never going to get along inside you, the flesh and the spirit. The spirit wants to kill the flesh. The flesh wants to kill the spirit. How do you win the war? How do you let the spirit win the war? Whichever one you feed, whichever one you feed is going to gain strength, is going to be able to whip the other one. The problem is that you can feed the flesh just by sitting in your living room watching TV. You can feed the flesh by just by driving down the road and seeing a, a, a billboard, right? You can feed the flesh just by letting your mind wander because that's what your mind is made for is the flesh, Right? But you can feed the Spirit by reading your Bible, right? By praying, by spending time in the fellowship, by encouraging, by serving other folks. These are ways that you can feed the Spirit, practical ways. Whichever thing you, you feed is going to grow stronger and stronger, is going to kick the other one's butt. Can I say that, church? Yes, okay. The works of the flesh, verses 19 through 21, and the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about this. This is important to know. Verses 19 through 21 are not reasons God hates you. Right? These works of the flesh, there's, some, there's a, it's a nasty list. But these are not reasons God hates you. These are results of choosing the flesh. Verses 22 through 23 are not reasons that God loves you. Because you're such a great person. No, they are results of choosing the Spirit. And notice it's the works of the flesh, like a factory, and the fruit of the Spirit, which is almost effortless, right? It's just abiding in the vine. Chapter 6, we're there, we're, we're getting close, we're almost done. Chapter 6, in this third division, grace is practical. Paul gives an example, verses 1 through 5. He says, look, when a man's overtaken... How do you treat him? 
When a man is overtaken in his sin, do you look at him in a legalistic way and say, I'd never do that. I can't believe you did that. Get out of my face. Or, Paul says, do you restore such a one gently, knowing that you could also fall in that way? And then in verses 6 through 10, this was actually just last Sunday, we talked about sowing and reaping. Paul says, and these were scary verses, like when you look at it, it's like, unless you're you're in the context of Galatians, which is all about grace, these can be very, they seem like they're sinister verses. We, We talked about Sunday, these are sobering verses, but they shouldn't be sinister to you. Sowing and reaping, it's a law like gravity, right? If you drop a pencil on the ground, it's still going to fall. Gravity still works. Sowing and reaping is a principle. These are the consequences of our actions. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. If you plant corn, what are you going to get? Corn. If you plant, we talked about this, there's this crazy flower called the carrion flower. It smells like dead, rotting flesh. If you plant this, if you planted a whole acre full of this stuff, When you go out some morning, your whole yard is going to smell like dead, rotting flesh. Now, does that mean that God hates you? No, it means that you chose to sow this thing that is going to reap. When it it comes up, it's going to smell. It's going to be rotten. It's going to be putrid. It's going to result in death. Paul says, whenever you sow to your flesh, you can know, rest assured, Guaranteed that it will produce death. But we talked about it. This, this isn't like a threat. This is a warning. This isn't God trying to waste you. It's God saying, look, this, this is the way it's going to happen. The way, same way gravity works. If, if, I were to, if you were going to jump off a building and I would say, don't do it because you'll splat, you wouldn't look at me and say, how can you be so judgmental? You, would, you, you must hate me. No. I'm just trying to warn you. I'm just trying to let you know that if you do this, this will result. And God doesn't hate you, but if you do these things, they will result. But also, likewise, Paul says, and this is the main focus, believe it or not, if you do good, if you follow the Spirit, you also will reap. You're going to reap much more than what you put in. He says, but there's this time thing involved. And we talked about, about that on Sunday as well. You may have sown to the flesh and thought I got away with it. Well, there's this whole time thing involved. But when you sow to the Spirit, there's also this time thing involved. So Paul says, don't be discouraged. Don't give up. He says, don't give up. God is trying to birth something beautiful in you. He says, don't give up because you will see this if you don't lose heart. Then finally, verses 11 through 16 is what we saw last Thursday. 11 through 16, Paul makes one last comparison. He sort of summarizes it all up. He says, one last comparison. He, he's done this how many times in Galatians? He says, look, let's compare the way of circumcision to get to be righteous versus the way of crucifixion to be righteous. Circumcision, legalism is all about show, is all about the outward appearance. But Paul says crucifixion is all about what happens inside. Crucifixion results in a real change. Verse 16, I think it is. He says, a new creation. It all boils down to Jesus said, you must be born again. Before you can be born again, you've got to die, right? You've got to admit, Lord, I'm, I'm a wreck here. I'm dead. Kill me all the way and resurrect me. 
Help me to be a new creation. That's what Romans 6 is. When it talks about baptism, that's a picture of death and resurrection in Jesus. Then finally, the last two verses. Chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says, From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Paul's basically saying, okay, I wrote you the letter. I don't want to hear about this again. <laughs> He's saying, this, this is a done deal. This is a, a, I'm, I'm done with this subject. And he says, because I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The Jews, the Judaizers, I should say, wanted the Galatians to bear marks. <laughs> right? Paul says, I bear the real marks of the Lord Jesus. All, all the, the scars, the persecution that I suffered, he's like, I'm not going to talk about this anymore because I, I know what it really means to follow Jesus. Um, and again, Paul never did it to be like, wow, look at me. No, Paul did it out of love, but those, the, the natural consequence was persecution. And then finally, verse 18, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Chapter 1, verse 2, started with grace. Chapter 6, verse 18, ends with grace. book ends as it began. It's all about grace. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. Right? And I know you've heard it probably every 4th of July, but freedom isn't free. Freedom is never free. Your freedom wasn't free. My freedom wasn't free. It was Bought in blood, sweat, tears, righteousness, and most amazingly of all, it was bought in the separation from God. Jesus had never, ever been separated from God until he hung on the cross for me. Paul says, look guys, your freedom is costly. It was really costly. Don't you dare throw it away. Paul says, stay free. Jesus intended for you to stay free. How do you do it? Don't take on the yoke of legalism. Don't take on the yoke of license. Take on Jesus' yoke, and you will find yourself free. He will walk with you every step of the way. He'll carry the load. Amazing.